Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On the pod today, we have an interview with Seth Myers of The Late Show, who we taped this on Thursday. And you know, so we, we didn't, were actually at the time we didn't about, even know if we'd still be here today. We were worried about a Trump administration. Man, egg on our face. Everything <laughs> turned out fine. So far, so good. <laughs> he became president. Changed. So we will have that interview later. Thank you again to everyone. For listening, please subscribe, please review and rate us. Listen to our podcast with Barack Obama. It was his uh, his final interview. He chose to do it with us. Yeah. Watch us. Chose. To... <laughs> I don't even know why we're asking people to listen. Everybody's listening. The show is a juggernaut. <laughs> uh, follow us on Snapchat. We're slowly trying to figure out how to use it as people in their 30s. <laughs> Social media mostly, manager Tommy Vitor. Mostly, mostly our Snapchats are Tommy filming me when I'm late to the car. <laughs> it's great stuff. I think it's great content. Uh, how do we feel this morning? Let's start there. I'll say if... I would never have imagined that the Monday after Trump's inauguration, I actually felt pretty good. But thanks to the Women's March, I feel pretty good. I feel great. <laughs> Tom? I don't feel good. <laughs> and I don't think anyone should feel good. I mean, I, I feel I feel good about... Um, Better than I thought. I, I, feel, there. Yeah. I feel confident that he is going to continue to turn off people and drive down his own approval rating. I feel very scared uh, that someone this thin-skinned is already this petty and thin-skinned on day one like i don't know if you want to jump right into the events of the weekend we're still on feelings tommy feelings you know i I think we should all be a little nervous that that he's overreacting like a child i guess i should say right like i feel better right better than i thought i did i am still quite angry all the time oh angry and terrified for sure i just think that the um the seeds of the opposition are uh have been planted yeah and 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 it was and that march was was real it could have gone a number of different ways from not as big as it was to what you know, and it it we'll talk about it later. I also, um, I also came back from the march to find that uh, it was raining in L.A. and my house was leaking. Mine was too. It was just pouring in my in, my, <laughs> my in the room with my too. computer. And oh, first world problems. Okay, <laughs> let's start with the inaugural. We'll go backwards. Uh, we did a live stream on the inaugural on on Facebook Live. That was Crooked Media's first live stream. Yeah, what a. Who, but in Technology is amazing. People. In case you're one of the few people who missed it, <laughs> <laughs> literally thousands and thousands of people were watching us live. <laughs> thousands and thousands, two, thousands, two, and, two, thousands, two thousands and thousands of people were watching. Um, <laughs> let's on the inaugural. Let's start by separating out the writing from the substance, since we have two speechwriters here, former mm-hmm. speechwriters on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the writing was generally bad. <laughs> it was forgettable. It was, it was better than usual, but the usual is garbage i think yeah to me the whole inaugural speech was like a polished up trump rally speech right a little polish on it yeah yeah a little shine on that turd but i I think like in in terms of like memorable phrases which are always hard in inaugural anyway i think you know american carnage is going to be one that people maybe remember but beyond that i just want to say putting american in front of a kind of I don't know, evocative word is like how hacks come up with titles for their screenplays. So give me a break. And I felt that a lot of the rhetoric in the speech was like that. It yeah. was like hacks trying to make something just sound like a little better. These are right. <clears throat> yes. And like just like re- references to blood. I mean, by the way, don't put blood in the speech. Blood and soil. Blood and soil. Look that up. Tombstones Google it. too. Google blood and soil, people. 
George Will, a conservative columnist and commentator, called it the most dreadful inaugural address in history, right? So I think that there's a there's a strain of conservative intellectual who continues to not like Trump and who sort of you know critiques these things on style points as well. I'm just sort of wary and mindful that these fear tactics worked in his uh, convention speech and worked along the way in the campaign trail. And I'm sort of curious, you know, what the average voter thought. I mean, I, I do think that you probably come away from the sum of that that day and that weekend thinking that the only news you've heard out of it is about his crowd size and how things aren't going that well. So, you know, it's probably a wash what he actually said. Yeah, I mean, one thing on the substance, now that we're going into the substance of the inaugural, um, it, it has been like bipartisan condemnation from from speechwriters and observers on both sides. You know, David Frum, Michael Gerson both said it was horrible. Like you said, George Will. James Fallows wrote an interesting piece about it in The Atlantic. And in terms of what you were saying about the scare tactics, uh, Fallows said, you know, From this inaugural address onward, the everything is terrible rhetoric is decreasingly useful for an incumbent president whose own party controls both houses of Congress. Okay, let's say everything is terrible. Now the voters are watching to see what you can do about it. So that's the difference between in the campaign when we all miss this and we're like, oh, maybe it doesn't work. It's too dark, but it did work. It is different when you're governing because now he has to produce results. And there was very little in the speech about there was very little new about the vision. There was very little to reach out to the other side or acknowledging that, you know, basically he's the most divisive president to ever take office. There was no attempts to try to solve that in the inaugural at all. The only thing he said as an attempt to, I don't know, address the fact that he ran a racist, misogynist campaign because he's a racist and a misogynist is uh, he said this crazy line like, you know, there's no room in the heart of the patriot for prejudice, (laughs) which is... I don't know. My alarm bells went off. That I, that is some weird <laughs> fascistic rhetoric. And you know what the thing is too? It's not like I can't even decide what's worse. Like, is it worse that that the people who wrote this speech for him? Because I got to tell you, I don't think Trump wrote it with a sharpie in the Mar-a-Lago lobby. <laughs> no. uh, uh, is it worse that the people who wrote this thing are so historically ignorant that they don't see the resonance of of that kind of rhetoric? Or what's more likely that they do and they use it anyway? Because whether or not they can hear how kind of resonant of another time that kind of language is mm-hmm. they certainly know that about america first which is just you know dr seuss was drawing cartoons about how that's fascist right. in like the 30s like this is the you know anyway well they, they, they've made a choice right they, they are well aware that america first is seen as a, a time in our history when people were pulling back and we were you know trying to stay out of world war ii and you know they've made a choice that they don't care and that they want to take it back, take back the phrase because they think it's useful to them somehow. And like we took back like, crooked media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's just like like what they were trying to. It was it was nationalist, and it was yep. like a screed against Washington. Which I get that those are effective. It's not. It's not some brilliant like like this has been like a strain through history. Like it's pretty easy to throw together a super nationalist screed yeah. against Washington. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that takes a lot of <laughs> even a bunch of like even a bunch of useless hacks that Trump has assembled around him can you know accidentally walk backwards into well, a pool and discover it. And to be fair, consultants in both parties, the, the, our hacks have been doing that kind of rhetoric for a long time, right? right? Like saying like all the people behind me have been corrupt and have not helped you yeah. and helped themselves like that. Right? Yeah, that's a pretty easy yeah. thing to Bane say. Bane in Dark Knight Rises, like I give the government back to you, the people. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do the accent. I didn't do it. I, I thought I, you were going to go there. I did the cadence. The people. I can't do it. <laughs> um, okay, so mm. we're going to say a, a generally forgettable inaugural address. Um, and then the next day, generally General forgettable, isn't he? I think he's, I think he's taking over interior. I'm not really sure. Oh <laughs> Boom. Hi, wait. When did, when did young David Axelrod get here? <laughs> I think they're still having trouble filling a lot of those spots, which is why they should be using... ZipRecruiter.com. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I got it, guys. Good work. I did it. Okay. Let's talk about the Women's March the next day, which was um, 
larger and more successful than the inaugural. Yeah. Something that bothered. Crooked Media was covering live from three different cities across the United States. We were in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. We had it covered for you. We were Snapchatting. I we was were, periscoping. We had all the bubbles Love covered. It. We had all the liberal I, bubbles, bubbles all covered. The liberal bubbles. I loved periscoping that March, mostly because while I was, you know, sharing with people at home what was going on in this historic day, people were recognizing me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I ran into. It, it is weird that I, I'm running into a lot of friends from, of the pod now. Uh, who are, you know, ask me if I like Love It and all sorts of other <laughs> insightful questions. Yeah, Tommy, I get that maybe a lot think too. about that. Maybe think about whether why people are asking if you like people me. People are like, do you really, do you guys get along? I love, love it. it. I, everyone loves Love yeah, It. Um, but it's weird because it's, it's an audio format, so I'm always just a little confused by it. But enough about making this about ourselves. Wait, wait, one more thing, one more thing. Just a special thanks to whoever actually made a sign that said, John Lovett, will you marry me, and brought it to the march. I just want to be clear. Spot on. Tommy and I are looking at each yeah. other. There are, the eyes are laser beams. Right now. There are <laughs> the laser are beams from their eyes, Rethinking guys. the do I like love it answer. <laughs> so the, the cool thing about the march in, in San Francisco for me was how hopeful and joyful and excited people were, right? There were a lot of... There were a lot of funny signs and a lot of references to pussy and like, you know, like veiled criticisms and not so veiled criticisms at Donald Trump. But mostly it was just a lot of people who were seemed excited for the first time in a while to be together and to be, you know, standing up for something they cared about. Tommy, some bad news. I don't know if you saw it, but Franklin's was sort of disappointed <laughs> with some of the language in the sign. So I think it's back to the fucking drawing board. Franklin's took a picture of a bunch of people at a hotel so lobby in Washington like complaining about it's like there's a mob that was like taunting me. And it's like it's there's like a, a five year old girl and a feeding her like it's goldfish. They're like, they're like sitting by a fire sipping hot cocoa yeah. and just like self celebrating their it's like re- re- reading the feminine mystique. And he's like the city's fallen into chaos. Run for your lives. Frank, Frank Lance is on the road now. <laughs> he walked in there trying to get a few focus group participants. Like, Suddenly he ran, out, he ran out just hanging now, on some and also, dear life. Somebody did throw glitter at him. And look, we do not support the throwing of glitter at Frank Lance. But man, did some did he... The, like... No one was arrested. It was there were like millions of people. Washington was filled. I was there. What the streets of Washington were filled like all the way from the mall up to K Street. No one was arrested. It was so peaceful. It was so orderly. Really? Also, like if these liberals care about the environment, why are they leaving their signs on the ground? There were half a that million a, people there. A couple signs are going to be on the ground, guys. Have you ever seen what happens after a Patriots game? That was a thing. I didn't yeah. even. Was, I, I didn't a, miss that I, you know what? I'm even sorry I raised it. I'm sorry um, I raised it because it's not a thing. So I went. I went to the one in Los Angeles. I was going to meet up with people, but then when I got there, my cell service there was too many phones, so my cell service was dead. So I just hung out there by myself for a few hours, and it was great. I was happy that my phone wasn't working. I like talked to people. I saw the signs. It was like the things. I was also struck by the cross-section of people that were there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just like men, women, young, old, every race. A lot of people brought their kids. Like, I, yeah. I, There was just an adorable group of little girls and one little boy with their parents. And uh, one kid was like, I want to go home, right? Because they were four. And the parents were like, oh, we just wanted you to experience this. And I was like, wow, you're was, a good um, parent, whoever yeah. you are. Yeah, you know, my phone wasn't working, so I couldn't meet up with all my celebrity friends that were distributed throughout the mall. But um, and that's life; that happens. Uh, but uh, but uh, no, it was. <laughs> we're back into pre-election insufferable. Uh, no, today. we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. There is, this is post-election, humbled but joyous warriors <laughs> in the face of adversity who recognize our own limitations, yet aren't afraid to speak our minds. That's take where two. we're at. And take two. <laughs> <laughs> Are we not using any of this? I'm th- I think this is staying. No, in. it's great. Um. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I and there was obviously a, t- a ton of anti-Trump stuff there, but I was also struck by like no one was it wasn't angry. It didn't feel no, angry. Like they angry they started our march and people 
everyone in the crowd started singing the national anthem as they started marching toward City Hall. And, and I was just like, this is cool. This, yeah. And look, by, we don't know exactly how many people were at these marches all across and the no country. Arrests, not no arrests. No arrests. It does seem like this was, in all likelihood, the largest protest in American history. And over 3 million. 538 says over 3 million. 538. I know you were talking with Jody. Jody and I, last night, he was like, we're not really sure about these numbers yet. And I said, I don't care. I like them. No. <laughs> but no, it seems like it was millions of people, so it's the largest protest in history. Trump hasn't actually done much yet. This is based on the promise of, of who we think he's going to be, about who we think we are. And already there's this much energy. Like, that's really exciting. And the fact that Trump tweeted a kind of soft, afraid to insult the protest tells you all you need to know because Trump doesn't pick fights with people he thinks uh, he may not win the, the fight thing. with. Yep. He, like that, Michelle Obama. I, I tweeted on the day of the protest. I'm like, imagine if Trump just said, like, protests are a part of our democracy and I don't agree with you. And then he did it the next and, day. And he did it. And that's <laughs> because not because it works. It, it's because the protest works. It's because yeah. he he knows that he can't. That's a fight he might, might not win, which is a great sign. Like Because that's where he's smart. He's smart about, like, what's getting media attention and where the narrative is and all that kind of shit. Like, he, he does get that. Yeah. And he got that the protest tests were too were like a big deal yeah um yeah also on not just coastal elites even though that's where we were we were we were in our liberal bubbles uh 12,000 in omaha nebraska 12,000 in oklahoma city yep uh 200 uh, 5,000 in birmingham alabama yeah, like huge is... protests in minnesota there were people in antarctica alaska people were pro- walking around in alaska yeah. i mean it is you know the the reflexive thing everyone wants to do is to point at Madonna or share speech and say this is liberal coastal elites or celebrities leading this thing. But this it just was not the case here. Yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't see in... one celebrity at, in L.A. It was L.A. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, apparently there was like a, a podium in D.C. where there was like a, you know, a series of speeches. But because so many more people turned out, <laughs> it's actually hard to de- de- tell the difference between 500,000 people at a women's march and 500,000 people looking for where the women's march starts. <laughs> but there was like all these people uh, just kind of like kind of I can't see the screen, whatever. And then everybody just was hanging around. Any, I yeah. could barely hear any of the speeches. It was a people being like, let us march. Yeah. <laughs> too long. The speeches are going too long. Let I do think march. that's a good lesson for future events is fewer speeches, more action. Fewer speeches, shorter speeches. That's for, always coming from speechwriters. <laughs> let me tell you, that's always it's no, always better. No it's one, always, no one has ever said in like the history of speeches. Like I wish mm-hmm. the speech were like longer and that there were more of them. Never, yeah, no, never. And Trump's speech was short. That's the one. That's the one positive rating I'll yeah. get. I'll give it short inaugural, short and sweet. Um, okay, so the question on the on the march is how do we keep the momentum up? What's what are the next steps? Right? right, because you just have one march and everyone goes home, and then that's you know that's not victory right there. Yeah. Um, I thought everyone there's a really great Vox interview with two Bernie organizers that everyone should get. We'll tweet out the link. But uh, they were saying that volunteers from the Bernie campaign are working on something to test at the Women's March. It's called Knock on Every Door. And the idea is to get everyone who came to the march to start doing door-to-door canvassing. That's cool. And going to, going to houses that are not just on Democratic lists, campaign lists, but just houses all over the community and saying like, you know, are you registered? Who'd you vote for last time? Did you not vote? What's it yeah. going to take for you to vote this time? And just really start, like, if you came up for the march, starting to do the work of door to door. I, I love that idea because, uh, you know, a lot of when fingers are pointed at the last election of the things we screwed up, it's that we didn't even try to make an argument to some of the voters who we assumed would go for Trump. Uh, and, and that idea has us talking to everybody and reaching out to every single person in canvassing. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's a very cool idea. I also think. You know, if you if you went to the march, or if you know a friend who did, and you're not registered to vote, you should try to do that tomorrow, or or make sure your friends who you went with are registered to vote, because that's a very simple thing that you can get done today. That's not an issue down the road. And then I think if you want to stay engaged on a national level, like there will be more events like this, 
But look in organizations like Emily's List or Obama for America uh, or others because they're going to be putting together ways to sort of get people together and, and, and stay involved. A very cool thing that a bunch of people are tweeting this weekend is um, swingleft.org. So uh, you go to this site, you enter your zip code, and it will show you the nearest swing district, um, near your nearest congressional district that was a swing district last time. And you can get updates about, like, when a Democrat's running in that district, how many votes they lost by last time, and you can actually go get involved. Like I, so I played with this a little bit over the weekend. We don't know who's behind the yeah, site yet. Yeah, guys, whoever made that site, just put your put your damn names on the thing. What <laughs> yeah. are you doing? What are you terif- What are you afraid of? Come on, enough. I was a gr- I was like looking at this site. It's like a cool thing, and it you works. Get, and then you're like, it's very, we're a, it's very we're a group too. of tech people, but we're not party. But br- 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 just put your names on the thing, and then it'll be even better. Anyway, that's a caveat. Anyway, yeah, I find out we have a, we have a swing district right near us, guys. I know California twenty seven. Isn't it, who is that? Who's the uh, Republican? Is I don't that, know, but he lost by, but he won by sixteen thousand votes. Oh, that's and very it cool. is the only is that ISO? It is the only congressional county um, that it was the only congressional district in California that represents a part of LA County that is still Republican. So it's up um, it's up near cool. thousand. And votes. look, guys, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be drafted, um, <laughs> but I I anyway. So you know, look, another let's say thing. you need a, a charming. Candidate who uh, craves the attention uh, that only politics can provide. Think about it. When you and I get annoyed at a love it joke, he really drags. I, know. I dig we in. Just, I dig in. I'm like, I'm like North Korea. I don't give an inch. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm negotiating so, the table size, guys. <laughs> but another important thing I think people should think about is like big national movements like that are cool and amazing and come around every once in a while. But you should get it organized and involved locally. Like run for office. If you had five friends from your small town and you went someplace to go to a march if the four of you showed up to a state senate race you found someone you really liked and wanted to get behind that is a gift from god for an election of that size so get involved show up uh figure out what you can do locally because guess who was a state senator barack obama right and then 10 years later the guy's president yeah it worked out well for him turned out okay this is pod save america live life at your pace click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how because here in williamsburg life moves at one pace yours here our waters are splashing and rejuvenating our history is for seeing and experiencing our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying and our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring it's all waiting for you in williamsburg book your trip today and live life at your pace This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, Mm -hmm. more time for you. I. uh... You know, because we've been doing what a weekday, mm-hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So, uh, what do you spend time doing at therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I added okay, therapy good, back good. to another time because uh, it turns out talking that's going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's really going to make things better for the team. <laughs> If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA.
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, let's talk about it. On my outline, the next topic is crowd size bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Donald Trump woke up very unhappy on Saturday with all the coverage. I feel like that's a common occurrence for him. Right. <laughs> the best is, I'm just going to read this paragraph from the New York Times story about this because it is just so bizarre. Mr. Trump grew increasingly angry on Inauguration Day after reading a series of Twitter messages pointing out that the size of his inaugural crowd did not rival that of Mr. Obama's in 2009. You know what he should try to do? But he spent his Friday night in a whirlwind of celebration and affirmation. When he awoke on Saturday morning, after his first night in the executive mansion, the glow was gone, several people close to him said, and the new president was filled anew with a sense of injury. It's a shame that (laughs) you can't can't make your tie long enough to cover up your inaugural parade size. (laughs) Uh, like, let's just, I just want to point. I just like to point out that yes, there is no easier morning in the White House than waking up the day after your inauguration. Everyone is giving you the benefit of the doubt. Oh yeah, the glow for, yeah. is there for months, and like he lost his mind. It's unbelievable. And it's where did day he lose? one? They're losing it. So where did he decide to get upset for the first time? But uh, an event at the CIA in front of a wall dedicated to fallen CIA agents. Yeah. He's standing in front of stars dedicated to the dead, lying about the people that showed up to his inaugural. It is bananas. Yeah, he's like, I have. So he, he started attacking the media. He said the media is trying to say that I have this fight with the intel community. Not true. True. Look at his tweets. He compared them to Nazis. He's like, why is the media always pointing out that I compared them to Nazis? (laughs) He said that the crowd looked like a million and a half people. That's not true. Uh, He said it went all the way back to the Washington Monument. Anyone who can look at a picture knows that that's not true. (laughs) Uh, So, like, who cares about the crowd? I'm so mad at Paul Ryan for letting this happen. (laughs) Ryan's Priebus. Nice job with the pledge, buddy. You fucked us all. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'm not over it. It worked out for him. He's White House Chief of Staff now. I don't feel great. He's (laughs) White I lied earlier. So he does this thing at the CIA. But the other thing is he also brought um, he brought campaign supporters with him to the CIA so he could get applause in the crowd. Yeah, I, I just I, I've been I, I've been to to Langley. I've had been with President Obama when he addressed the workforce in front of that same wall. And first of all, he did it on the weekend, so most of the people who worked there probably weren't there or didn't want to be there. But also, you know, this would be like going to Arlington Cemetery and talking about your Nielsen ratings or your crowd numbers. I mean, it's insulting to the people who are lost. And just remember, you know, if you were in the agency and you died serving overseas, your family might not have known what you were doing. And you were never celebrated. And, and you know, it's a uniquely um, fraught issue for them and an emotional one and also you know it's also an organization dedicated to sorting out fact from fiction and the guys up there just lying in the most nakedly political way at what's supposed to be and like i think people overdo this and say how apolitical the ic is but they're supposed to be an apolitical organization that helps presidents make decisions based on the best information so the 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 different ways this was insulting to the mission of the organization and the people inside it uh there's too many to count but you know it's like this also (laughs) this also should have been a really easy win for him he could have walked in there thanked them for their service totally and talked about how important their collaboration is going forward, and he would have gotten universal acclaim. And said, like, look, I know I've I, I, we started off on the wrong foot, and I just like to say I'm behind you. You know, like he could have. <laughs> You're not Nazis. Right. <laughs> that might help. Yeah. It's also like and, and filling the seats, filling the seats with 
supporters Boosters. is crazy. It's... He could have. I mean, he could have also filled the seats by going on SeatGeek. <laughs> oh no! Here we are. Oh my goodness! I got gracious. it. Yeah, this is a good one. I got it. SeatGeek. Uh... Um, okay, so so that happened. Then that wasn't enough. He sends Sean Spicer out to the White House briefing room in Sean Spicer's first official trip to the White House briefing room. There are visuals of the crowd shots on either side of Sean. He gets out there and he just delivers this blistering statement attacking the press. Just tells all these easily verifiable lies. Blatant lies. Like sky is red type lies. You know? Um, and then does not take, And then does not take any questions and walks out of the briefing room so yeah I, Tom I mean, is like, that normal <laughs> no right so, so my first job at the White House was assistant press secretary my what I did was I'm with a group of others is we prepared Robert Gibbs who is the White House press secretary every day for the for the briefing and the first briefing you do the first time you walk into that room and those Klieg lights are on and you're at that podium is like a monumental moment for the White House and for that person who's taking over that job it's your first chance to engage with the press and it usually it begins with some sort of conversation about the relationship and how you want to work with them and you believe in the mission of like open uh you know free information and the first amendment but instead he went out there on a saturday night and just tore these people a new asshole for five minutes and then walked out and i just want to be clear the white house press secretary doesn't walk into the briefing room bark at them and then walk out your job is to take their questions that is your that is the primary <laughs> primary part of your job you are a conduit between the press and the administration that is that is first in your job description it was so stupid guys <laughs> it was crazy it was you know it's like first of all like it was insulting and it's dangerous that the white house press secretary has just going to give in to accede to the demands of his boss and just walk out to the briefing room and lie every day i mean that's that's a dangerous thing for all of us, but it's also not going to make him an effective press secretary, no. which is a great thing because the, the that relationship being untenable will make it much harder for this White House to achieve its goals. So, right. I mean, yes, sorry, you, Sean, you you We're have for you to fail, buddy. You have a finite amount of credibility. Um, we we've seen this with White House press secretaries, like got people like Scott McClellan, who's one of Bush's press secretaries, was was sent out to lie by Karl Rove and others about their involvement in the leak of Valerie Plame's information. So. Once you once you are perceived as a liar, once your credibility is gone, you are you are ineffective at that job. And it's, it seems clear that that the audience for that briefing was one person, Donald Trump, and no one had the political judgment or courage to tell him that was a terrible idea. And that is that is going to be a massive problem. Yeah, for that's that was I think that's that's true of, of Trump's dumb tweets. It's true of this briefing that there was no adult who had the capacity to say to the president of the United States, hey, you're a little hot under the collar uh, because you have a personality disorder. Uh, maybe we hold <laughs> off on this. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's how you'd say say it. You maybe find a better way to say it. And it got worse. I mean, and they're they're you know, you saw them talking about this. I don't know if you want to get into uh, Kellyanne Conway. Oh, and, okay. oh, so, you know, you had Kellyanne Conway and meet the press and rants. Right, Priebus. It's Reince Priebus. I know. He just did that annoying on you, you little... see the joke. Jesus Christ. You get the joke. Uh, and His face had... looked like he was joking. Yeah, I paused. That's what you do when you joke. And we had Reince on uh, on Fox News Sunday. That's a and, good joke. And they were so angry. 
I mean, they were like screaming back through the microphone um, at Chuck Todd and Chris Wallace. Well, then, really, then we had we had we we've had some like instant classics from this, right? Sean Spicer. The, Sean Spicer is now like an international meme. <laughs> He's been joked about everywhere because he said, you know, it was the it was the largest audience ever to witness an inaugural. Period. Which is just like you <laughs> it know, was like flatly untrue. And and then Kelly and Conway on, on Meet the Press says, uh, Chuck's like, well. You know, Sean Spicer lied. Well, yes, he came up with some alternative facts. Right. Alternative, alternative facts. Alt facts is like a joke we were making about how <clears throat> Kelly and Conway should be ashamed of herself. <laughs> you know, the thing is, like, you look at Sean Spicer. Let's get into it. You look at Sean Spicer and you're like, I think there might be like a kernel of you that knows that what you're doing is wrong. Kelly and Conway, it's just dead eyes. I mean, that's just crazy. The, mm. the thing she said that Watch was... Watch that Meet the Press interview, people. The it's thing, awesome. The thing she said that was the most ominous to me was... She was like, we allowed you in the Oval. And yeah. you, and then, you know, she, they're, they're going off on a reporter named Zeke Miller, who I've known for a long time, who is a very straightforward guy and a good reporter, who, who wrote a pool report where he said that he thought the Martin Luther King bust had been removed from the Oval Office. Now, he got that wrong. I guess his view was obstructed, and he quickly corrected and apologized. And Sean Spicer retweeted his apology tweet, correcting the pool report, saying apology accepted. But remember, like... But it wasn't because then he just destroyed him in the briefing room. Then they part of some uber some case. It's crazy, right? And they went out on Sunday those Sunday shows, and they decided to make this some sort of, you know, sort of example of how the press is out to get them. And they're they're lying about that. They're lying about everything. And here's the qualitative difference, right? Is Zeke Miller says this in the pool report, immediately corrects it, immediately apologizes, and then everyone who. Like I had tweeted something about the MLK bus, right? And Fake I was like, on a, it was, I was on a plane, and some one of our friends texted me and was like, "Oh, they just said it was a mistake." And I like immediately delete the tweet because like, because you're a journalist, we, but we now. don't get. Yeah, I'm, I'm a straight shooting journalist now. But it's like most people have the shame or want to correct something that's egregiously false. They have told now egregiously false, egregious lies over the last two days, and there is no hint of an apology, no hint of a correction. They just don't care, and. Also, on the right, if you, like, watch Fox and all the conservatives now, they're like, well, the media's getting all upset about this lies, but, like, you know, there was Obamacare lies and Benghazi lies, and no one was ever upset about that. Ari like, Fleischer's tweet about that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's so seen. different, though. There's it's also, like, there, there, are, there are lies that come from policy differences where you can argue over, like, okay, that was more true than not, right? But this is, like, this is like sky isn't blue type shit. And, and, and there's know? a pattern here, which is... You know, this is the same thing that they did when BuzzFeed posted that dossier and CNN did a very kind of responsible report on what they were hearing from the intelligence community. They like to conflate the two. They like to conflate the thing they can't argue with with the thing they can argue with so they can make it one thing. So, right. So they send out Sean Spicer to be like, you guys said there was no MLK bus. Plus, the mall had so many people it collapsed and fell into the center of the earth. (laughs) And it's like, hold on a second, buddy. Uh, uh, Zeke apologized. So there's like a legitimate kind of thing there, even though you're being children about it and it's not really a thing. But what you're saying about the inaugural is bananas. And they and they they do this over and over again. That is what they will do. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled. No, like if Sean Spicer came out and said, uh, we're turning Medicaid into block grants, which they want to do, and then said, we don't believe that's a cut. We think that's just shifting resources. We would all say that's not true. It is a cut. And maybe, you know, fact trackers would find us correct. But that is a different kind of falsehood than saying something that anyone who has a set of eyes can see is not true. Right. Now, it's a difference. It's a different thing. Fascinating little bit of criminology is Maggie Haberman, who's a great New York Times reporter, suggested on Twitter last night that basically Spicer had been set up to fail and that Trump had never really wanted him to be press secretary and that he was a previous pick and that Kellyanne Conway is who Trump wanted and that maybe, you know, that there was background quotes in some of these stories saying that Trump thought Sean had gone too far. Oh, I saw and that. Just 
knifing this guy on day one. I mean, it, it, that Sean, place is blood sport. Sean, we're your friends, all right? And listen, we're here to help you. And uh, look, you have your first briefing today, and you've lost your credibility, but you need a clean shave. Maybe try Harry's razors. <laughs> Speaking of bald-faced liars, <laughs> have you considered Harry's razors? Also, you know, everyone will be listening to this podcast after today's first briefing has happened. So maybe... Maybe by the time people are listening to this podcast, Sean Spicer will have gone out there, apologized, begged for everyone's forgiveness. Yeah, maybe on our face. <laughs> Who knows maybe, what's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe, by the maybe, time like a, this. maybe kind of a bouquet of flowers, some chocolates for the press <laughs> corps. arrangement, Sorry. yeah. Sorry I lied to you. <laughs> Sherry's Berries used to be a sponsor. Maybe we'll send him those. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't think the Spicer... Oh, do you see someone on Wikipedia also changed Sean Spicer's picture to Baghdad Bob? <laughs> but, you know, like, I, like, one thing about this is uh, even the Trump surrogates who were out over the weekend... And I think all the journalists involved, the, the key point is, who cares about the crowd size? Right. Okay, there's a lot of reasons crowds do or don't show up. Like, we shouldn't we shouldn't be fighting about this or going to war about this. There are far more important things. But what's pro- the problem is they're, they're hemorrhaging their credibility on something that's so silly. And then, you know, you pick up the Wall Street Journal today, and there's reports that the FBI is investigating contacts between the Russian government and Trump's campaign, including communications between his national security advisor. Uh, and that counterintelligence teams are doing this investigation. And so I want to be very clear that we do not know that Flynn did anything wrong and no one's reporting that he did. And I don't want to convict someone in the court of public opinion for being investigated. But this is, you know, but that's he's a dangerous. Crazy. So, so, no, but like this is an example <laughs> of, of a time when reporters are going to come to you and they're going to say, what is this Wall Street Journal report? And you need to have the credibility right. to say, this is not, this is bullshit. Right, you, you want to be able to wave them on or wave them off, and no one is going to believe them when they try to wave them off the, these stories. The lies about lies about crowd size are, um, I mean, they're blatant, but they're also small potatoes compared to the lies they're going to tell about a whole bunch of other things. It just and it's it's, it's, it's going to get it's scarier. very serious. It's very serious for this reason. Four years is a long time. There will be there will be national security crisis. There'll be a national security crisis. There'll be all kinds of events where we're going to turn to the White House for information. It cannot be trusted, and that's just it cannot be trusted. And, and listen, like and it just like sliding into the weekend is the fact that Kellyanne Conway just said, "No, Trump's not ever going to release his tax returns." They they, they totally just lied. Drop the canard about the audit. Except you know who's going to try to get him now? Friend of the pod, Norm Eisen. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Norm, you Norman, get those. You get those tax Norm returns Norm Eisen and Richard Painter, who was Norm's counterpart in the Bush administration, are suing uh, because Trump is in violation of the Emoluments Clause. And as part of the lawsuit, they hope to get the tax returns in discovery. And Norm, look, I know you're worried about standing. I want you to know you always have standing right here. I, you know, I, I'd like to argue that America. Norm broke that news on pod save america i think you heard it here first i think it, let's let's just spice her that it's right it's true <laughs> we broke that news. it's true yeah. we broke it first don't 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 and, pay and any attention way, to anything that's contradictory we want to thank the millions of people listening to every single episode of this podcast <laughs> there's <laughs> never been people as far back as the washington monument listening to the podcast there's never been a podcast with an audience like this before this is the uh, greatest podcast of all time period period <laughs> period end of sentence also dip and ducks dip and dots suck <laughs> i agree with sean spicer on dip and dots i don't know i love they're a dip not, and dot oh i love stupid. them too they're just not the Ice cream of the future. No, no, they're, they're not. <laughs> hey, we're, we're a little inside baseball here. Sean Spicer <laughs> tweets about Dippin' Dots all the time for seemingly no reason. <laughs> or did in 2012 and everyone started retweeting that. Now you know. <laughs> Get into it. Okay, when we come back, it will be a taped interview with Seth Meyers that we did on Thursday. He's a very, very nice guy. We had a lot of fun really doing this fun interview. Yeah, it's great. That was the most fun we've had in a while. Okay. Not we will, me, uh... <laughs> I, mean, I, just have, I, just, I had a lot of fun, but I have a ton of fun in my life. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You're listening to Pod Save America. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the March Spring Sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. 
That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Stop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Uh, With us on the pod today, we have... Seth Myers, Seth, welcome. We're doing a little I'm crossover so pod. To be here. Crossover <laughs> pod. It's like when Spider-Man and Batman are in a comic together. It's exactly like that. It is. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Seth? I'm doing good. How you feeling? We always like to ask everyone how they're feeling. I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking. What? What is? It? What is the actual day? It's the day before the inauguration. Yes. So yes. it's an interesting day to check in on people's feelings. I feel. Yep. Like. I wonder if we were right on uh, Monday when this airs. Yeah. How we felt today. Hopefully everything will still be yeah. in order. I guess we should talk about how do we think we'll feel on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's so funny. People were asking me the other day, what do I expect tomorrow? And I, I, I've given up on expectations and, yeah. and voicing them and talking about them. It, it's been easy to sort of forget about this because like Barack Obama was a security blanket who was there. But being in the White House yesterday and like seeing literal moving boxes going out of the Oval Office was that was a hard, hard yeah. visual for yeah. me. Plus, they're stealing all those busts. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to be like a big scandal. <laughs> it's going to be a huge scandal. <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, does it, how long do they have their boxes there? Uh, I mean, Is it like when regular people move? No, they have to phase them because they, they can't yeah. physically check you all out at once. So it's right. like it's this rolling, depressing departure photo process. And right, like yeah. he's there on the last day. And we're, it was a little sad. It yeah. Sad. It was a little sad. You guys got your interview, though. Well, we did get our interview. Yeah. Yeah. Good for So during our interview, um, Lovett asked uh, Obama if he feels responsible for Trump running because of the Correspondence Center in the 2011. 2011, where we all where, worked together. Where we, where uh, we all worked that together. funny? <laughs> <laughs> what a funny night. Who had the last laugh there? <laughs> well, people say, I've, some people on Twitter said, who's had the last laugh? Or like, who's laughing now? Trump fans have said to me, who's laughing now? And to that I say, still us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He it doesn't still laugh. still funny. I've he never doesn't seen laugh. him laugh. So no. he won, yes, but I don't. I think laughing's the wrong thing to put on him. Yeah. When you were preparing for that speech, which is a hard one. Yeah. And you did great. Thanks. We're it was a fun that. night. No, you guys did great <laughs> with the president. Um, how much? Did you, <laughs> how much did you think about? Like, how much did you think about targeting Trump? Like, when did that sort of come up in your mind that that was going to be a focus? Of we worked on it for about three weeks. Because we had three weeks on from SNL, and there were about eight people that helped me out with it. We had a lot of people writing a lot of jokes. And I, I remember 
the president releasing his long form birth certificate was a huge bummer for us because it took away a lot of jokes. Yeah, us too. Same here. Yeah. We got angry when we, we were told yeah. that. When we heard that there was like something going on and we might get wind of something that was like newsworthy that was going to end up in the briefing room, we were like, it's going to be the birth certificate. It's going to be yeah. tonight of all nights. It's going to be the birth certificate. <laughs> Three days before the speech. Yeah. And it was. And then, but Trump was really like, Bubbling up in the days leading up to it, I feel like it was getting worse and worse because it hadn't occurred to us three weeks out how big a part Trump would be. And then as it got closer, I think it really occurred to us, oh, this will be and what a gift. Yeah. You know, what a replacement for the birth certificate thing is that he's and I think it was also that he was going to be there. Right. Once that was announced, then it got really fun because you think it's there's a lot of fun people in the room, but there aren't really. No. It's Washington. Yeah. Tough crowd. too. It's a tough crowd. Also. It was it was unique that they could cut to Trump because usually that it's not like the Golden Globes where they cut to the people as you're making jokes to and the C-SPAN people have no idea where anybody is. Right, right. The cameras are way far away. There's awful. I mean, again, it was not Donald Trump's fault that night, but it was the least flattering shot of him watching himself get burned the whole right. day. It was that. I was weird sitting right side. behind him. Yeah, I was at the table behind him, and I could see just him being so pissed the whole time. C-SPAN had asked me for my script. Because they wanted to be able to cut to people, and I didn't give it to them for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't want it to be about the cut-tos. Also, I don't know if you guys feel this way. The minute you show it to anybody, I was just worried a C-SPAN producer would flip through my script and not smile, and I would yeah. lose all right. confidence. You yeah. just don't want to show anybody anything <laughs> yes. until it's done. Yeah. But the fact that you had so many Trump jokes, they by the time I went, C-SPAN knew exactly where he was. Right. They had right. found him right. during right. the president. Right. It is... It is a really interesting. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Somebody thought, "What a crazy night!" Because uh, a few people have certainly conjectured that it was it was uh, one of the moments for him. Well, I'd heard it whispered for a while, and then they did that frontline special. Yeah. Amorosa just Amorosa said it. was like that. Was, she said that was it. That was the moment he decided he was going to take his right. revenge at some point. Yeah, yeah. it's Amorosa, she's a serial so. liar. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's a great story. It's yes. a great story. Right. We're have, fine, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is cathartic. I think he's moved on from. I you know uh, ultimately so many things have happened. I I feel like he. Although I guess the book on him would be that he has incredibly long memory for vengeance. Yeah, but. he's not like a. He's not like a forgive and forget type. No, I feel like he's a forget guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I don't think it, forgiveness leads right. to the like, forgetting. I know I hate them, but I can't remember why. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Did he ever say anything to you? Well, I saw him a couple nights later at an event in New York. And in my head, which is sort of something that Lorne Michaels would say, which is don't make a joke about somebody that you wouldn't be able to go up and talk to them after like and i did feel every joke was fair i don't look back on that and think any of it was uh like mean or out of bounds right and i went over and said because i'd known him from when he had hosted snl and i went over and said uh thanks for being such a good sport the other night and he completely shot that down he immediately said you were too mean the jokes were too mean oh boy he did say the president was very funny so congrats guys Hmm. uh because that was how (laughs) that was how he always phrased it it post was that i had stepped over the line right i wonder what you did that really got him I think it's that there's something – being burned by the president is an honor in its own right. right. I know it's embarrassing to some degree, but with the most powerful man in the world takes time out of his remarks to target you. Right. There's some – there is a cool. bit of – like you have accomplished something to right. reach that point. Whereas when I go after you, it's like, oh, is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, though, I saw him at a – I did not see him again until uh, the SNL 40th, and we actually had a very nice interaction. This is before, probably about like 
three or four months before he announced. And it was pleasant. Like, and it was not planned. We were just trying to get to our seats and crossing in a very narrow aisle. And uh, it was a real bygones be bygones conversation. And at the time... And you've been friends ever since. We've been friends ever since. And every, <laughs> he knows everything. Everything's a joke. I tell, call him every night. I tell him what's coming. I run the script by him. Uh, he thinks it's very good to sort of frame somebody as the other side. Uh, we, and then we actually reached out and talked to him about coming on the show because, again, because of 2011 and that correspondence dinner, mm-hmm. we th- always thought he'd be a great guest. Um, and then he you know, started running, and uh, we started talking about it, and that sort of went, 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 went astray. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. like honesty. So this is something we, we were excited to talk to you about, which is how you decided to be political in a show that makes that hard. Or at least where there's like a threshold question like, is this a show that can be political? Right. It was, I, you know, it was a couple things. The main, I feel like the main catalyst was just this decision that was based more in comfort than anything else to move the show back to behind the desk, not do... A conventional monologue, which was a thing I just set up as a challenge myself. I really thought I would have the best joke writers and I would eventually figure out how to do it and just never found comfort with it. Also, you know, our show's on after The Tonight Show and Jimmy does a monologue. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have every night is how do you get people to stay tuned in? And oftentimes I think when you do something that looks exactly the same, they Mm -hmm. think, oh, I don't need to see the same kind of jokes about what happened in the news. So we got back behind the desk, and that let us do it a little bit more update style. And and when you have updates and keys and graphics, you can tell jokes that I think are a little bit more explainy. You don't have to do that monologue thing of, hey, did you guys see this? You you know, and that got out of it. And so that just became a little bit newsier. And then we just kind of lucked out that we had just done a few of these closer looks, and, and they got really good. It was that thing of the audience kind of telling you something's working. We'd get good feedback. And then... And then this all sort of just happened right as Trump jumped into the race. And then this became a year where I feel like all the late night shows, even the ones that are apolitical, started talking about politics a little bit more. Because we had a more political leaning, it just gave us so much content that we started creating this process whereas we could do these closer looks three or four times a week. And as far as the fact that nobody had ever done it before, it was nice that nobody ever told us not to. Like NBC was really supportive. I think NBC also likes the idea of our show being different than the Tonight Show, and I think they just felt a point of view. This is I feel like this is an era now, and I think it's a lot of thanks um, to Jon Stewart uh, and Colbert. Like you, It's okay to have a point of view and be a talk yeah. show host. I mean, what I feel like I appreciate about your what you guys are doing and like your interview with Kelly and Conway is one of the frustrating things about watching this campaign is the degree to which they just insult your intelligence. Yeah. And like blatant lies to your face. And to have someone call it out and like you know, to do it with satire, I think, is like one of the best ways to cut through that bullshit. What was nice, I will say, I'm very grateful that she came. Because yeah, it's, it's so hard to have those conversations. Yeah. And it was funny because the, a couple weeks before, I had back-to-back nights. Uh, David Remnick had been on, and the next night, Rachel Maddow had been on. And they were very similar conversations. They were just like the progressive <laughs> lament. Right. And... <laughs> I felt like when I was watching you talk to Kellyanne Conway, it was a little bit like, oh my God, she's doing that thing she does in CNN, but she's doing it to me, and I can tell her it's crazy. (laughs) But she's doing that pivot thing. I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) Well, it was the great thing about it, and I realized the advantage uh, I had over uh, somebody who would do talk to her on CNN is an audience. She never gets interviewed in front of an audience. And so there's a moment where... I said, that's a pivot, and the whole audience laughed, because they, again... Yeah, you literally applauded her. (laughs) And so... 
And then she couldn't keep. She couldn't then say it wasn't right. a pivot. Two hundred people agreed with me. Right. Whereas on you know on all those shows, you know, you watch somebody like Jake Tapper, you watch somebody like Anderson Cooper talk to her. First of all, I don't know how anybody when you're just two people are in different places, looking at the camera, hearing each other in earpiece. Like no one's ever Sucks. come it's, to an agreement yeah, there. And also just that the audience becomes uh, a group of people that sort of collectively say, "Well, now hold on," <laughs> and then it doesn't make you as the interviewer look right. like. You just found a bone to pick with them. You're just kind of saying, I, I just would love to get point that out. Right. I couldn't remember another late night show host breaking news in the middle of an so, interview to a guest. I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, it was so. <laughs> I wish you could have seen how it was like the dressing room was on fire. Like everybody's <laughs> running around, like showing you printouts and reading it and trying to understand the news story. Right. Because I knew Which I had was to... a hard one to it understand. Was, yes, it was. Yeah. It, was. it took a couple of days and we, I mean, we still don't know. We still don't it's know. I still don't know if, you know, I don't, I think uh, Kelly and Conway fully believes that she gave the right answer to that. I, you know, it's, I, it's a tricky one. The crazy thing was the BuzzFeed thing was 20 minutes later. Oh. And our show had already started. Oof. Thank God. I was wondering why there was no pee jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and that was like, that would have been too much to know what to do with. Uh, right. Yeah. I, you know, that was, I'm just glad we had a night. <laughs> to process it? <laughs> to process yeah, that. we're still processing. Yeah. It's still we're working. And I still, I still can't yeah. process, you know, I actually now, and again, like, we'll do it tonight. We'll have, we'll probably faint towards it. It's been for late night uh, talk show hosts that the BuzzFeed document, you know, that is comedy gold yes i don't know if it's fair to continue bringing it up because it's so do you think it's fair that uh uh the logo for our podcast is holding an umbrella (laughs) (laughs) i I mean the fact that the fact that jim clapper the director of national intelligence briefed to the president of the united states that he used the words golden shower i think to me like i can't vet this document either and like I think we all should greet all intelligence leaks with (laughs) right with (laughs) some skepticism right but like and i say this is a guy who worked in national security that said, like when it gets briefed at that level, like you just ha- that has to be taken on board as news. I don't know how yeah. you and this thing was floating around for months before this, but I agree that it's news. It I just now it seems there's no verification it happened, Nothing. and yet we again in order to make the jokes look, we the don't bo- <laughs> we don't add before each joke say unverified right <laughs> you know we allegedly yeah. look yeah. Buzzfeed broke the seal on this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that's the first time I've it's, used that one. New. I think that's a, yeah. I it's maybe new. haven't heard that one. Yeah. Everybody, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about the role of comedy in, I guess, in the Trump era here? Because there was, during the campaign, there was a little sniping from, I would say, Republicans and then, like, DC types. It's like, oh, John Oliver did a segment Sunday night, but it didn't, it didn't kill Donald Trump's campaign, like, thought it was going to, you know, and sort of mocking it. Well, I think there's a fair, it's fair to mock those who write headlines that use destroy. Right. Right. And I think even John has done that to his credit. I mean, none of us, I mean, again, we don't ever write one where we, you know, it comes off the printer and we say, this is the one. We're we're getting We got him. This, we got him. This is the joke. (laughs) We're just happy to be able to talk about what's going on in the news and make jokes about it. We also try, and again, we have the luxury of doing it every night so we have some time. We try to make sure people know the, he did this, he did this, he did this. Whether that matters to you or not, like, well, you know, when people say, why are you so obsessed with him? Well, first of all, not obsessed with him, but he's the most unique president we've ever had. Yeah. It's the most uncom- unconventional campaign we ever saw. And so it's kind of 
it, it looks to be interesting in perpetuity. We'll see what right. happens if it ever gets boring. That's our bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we don't, you know, you're not out trying to stop. I mean, again, I, you guys must uh, think about this all the time now, which again, this idea of a bubble. And I'm very aware that the people, there were probably people who watched my show more when it was the apolitical show that kind of led out of The Tonight Show who have been turned off by it. I would hope that maybe an equal amount of people then found it because it was what they wanted. But I'm aware that more often than not, I'm probably preaching to the choir than, you know, having undecided voters come sit in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, so when it comes to someone like Trump who is not normal and he kind of is in this comedy world, right, um, I think that there are shows that have taken it on and then other shows have said, you know what, we're just comedy shows. We're just going to keep doing our thing. Um, do you think that uh, you have an obligation to ask tough questions, say, of a Donald Trump? Do you have an obligation to uh, not treat him as, as normal? I don't know if it's an obligation. I mean, again, and I'm not trying to deflect. I'm just trying to do the best show every night. And I find the best version of our show is sort of questioning what he does. It's the most, it's the best version. And again, every talk show has to build itself around the skills of the host. I feel like that is just a, that's, there are other things I can't do that other talk show hosts are really good at. But I do think one of the things I can do is at least try to deconstruct what he's doing every day and with jokes. I mean, it's kind of that simple. Does a lot of it come from what you did on Update just because that's sort of the style that... I think the most helpful thing in Update was just learning how to look down a camera and talk. Right. <laughs> just tell jokes. Because it is very jarring to do. I, I think uh, as stiff as I was, because I do feel like I was really stiff when I first doing doing monologues on this show, I was really stiff when I first started doing jokes at Update. Um, for some reason, I finally got good at sitting behind a desk and then started a new job and was like, I'm going to leave my <laughs> <Right>. skill set. <laughs> I mean, you guys remember me being wooden back in 05? Well, here I am again. <laughs> what is it about standing up that made a difference? <clears throat> I mean, now, one thing is there's it, it's a little bit more old school entertainer. Right. It, I think that, you know, the curtain and, you know, we switched it to a brick wall. There's something that uh, you feel like you want to see a showman uh, and I don't even, I didn't even know where to put my hands like that. Right, right. <laughs> was, you see where Conan like ends up like doing dances with strings. He's like, what am I doing with my hands out here? Yeah. Well, it was funny. I mean, he, I feel like he figured it out and turned it into a strength of right. kind of calling out how silly it is that you have to, and again, couldn't figure out hand in a pocket or, or any of those things. And I always felt like it had no looseness for me. I felt like I was uh, like doing a um, uh, a catalog shoot, you know, that thing, like hand, pocket, uh, look at watch, point. Why do you think there's no conservative version of what you're doing or that I can think of? I don't know. It's such a good question. Because shitting on Democrats is easy and yeah. fun. We are terrible. Right. No, a mess. I mean. An absolute mess. Uh, uh, this would, coming out of maybe the worst like year the Democrats have ever had. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean I there I, I, I don't really want to guess. Maybe I, it's partly because like Hillary Clinton has so few flaws to criticize. <laughs> yeah, I think that was There's it. not a lot of openings. <laughs> right. <laughs> such a perfect I remember candidate. last night at dinner when Lovett said we were gonna book her. Yeah. Maybe we got this. There goes there. that. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, this is still possible and I could go further. <laughs> <laughs> Editing works wonders. Yeah. Um I mean, I, I'm trying to think of who even counts as a conservative comedian. I know there are comedians out there who hold conservative right. uh, perspectives, but it doesn't seem like anybody wants to go out and, and do the work of trying to 
Maybe because it's hard? I I, it might be hard. It might come off as mean-spirited. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure, by the way, conservatives are like, trust me, you come off as very mean-spirited to us. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, that, again, I'm trying, although I, I'm worried. I've never, there's never been, empathy has never been asked for more by the winners in history. Okay. Right. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's And I feel like that was, I jumped to, oh, there was a lack of empathy. But now, a few months in, I mean, why are the winners the ones who also well, get empathy? Fascinating to see, like, you know, Trump's spokesman saying, I, I have to tell you, Saturday Night Live was very mean-spirited. Are you kidding? You work for Donald Trump. He's the meanest guy we've ever elected. Yeah. He's a, he's a famous jerk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's world-class mean-spirited. And yet, it, well, there's this idea that everybody, uh, we none of us understood the lives of the people who made this decision. And I get it. I'm, I'm, and again, I'm a, a, I certainly, I feel like this was an election that you have to have an intellectual curiosity as to why it happened and, and try to think more about uh, people that you haven't thought of before. But it is this weird thing of like, shouldn't there be some empathy for the people who right. also lost and are going to have... I mean, I feel like I've read every article that has been written about why we lost this election, and I have a less good understanding now than the day it happened. And I think, yes, we didn't do a good job reaching out to white working class voters, and the message was terrible, but I don't want to overlearn this lesson. And I think, to the extent I have empathy right now, it's like for anyone who's Muslim in this country and, and or right. someone who's, you know, could be sent home to another country. And it's immigration debate. I mean, like, piping, those are the people who deserve some piping empathy. Piping Tommy in from the women's march. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this weird thing. Of you have to, we we get empathy and you have to be good sports. Yes. <laughs> like, it's yeah. It's, it's a sore I, winner it's, thing. The sore, a, winner sore winner thing, thing is crazy. I've never seen it before. Like, no. It's, it's pathetic. It's almost as if he attracts a kind of devious and... Uh, unprepared. It's like they're all Boston sports fans. This is what it is. <laughs> the, it's true. The, give them a chance, which I, again, you know, I'm still hopeful that how, I don't know how it happens, but that, uh, you know, we're, we're better off a year from now than we are today. Like, that's the hope. And yet this idea of give them a chance, I mean, by the day after, he was behaving terribly. Right. There was no yeah. shift. into, And so I think there's this, this, idea that no one who who wanted the other option uh, or the other outcome gave him a chance but it's like no there's there's an active i mean also once you become president like the stresses and challenges only increase right it's like (laughs) you become you get like more in the foxhole and you feel more defensive right Right. like it's not gonna get better for him the flaws (laughs) of presidential candidates are the flaws that dog their presidencies only worse because you're a human being in the craziest job human beings have ever created, right. and it brings out all your worst instincts because you're a human being, you're a person. You, and you with, feel aggrieved. The you, reason, sorry, go ahead. I was just to say, um, obviously, President Obama seemed to have you know, a, a very strong historic sense of what he was about to step into. How much harder do you think it was than even he was prepared for? I think it was much harder. I, I remember in those, the only time I thought I, I saw him seem nervous was those first few months on the job because of the economic crisis and the reports he was getting. And just like every day it was more bad news, like auto industry's dying, right. 800,000 jobs a month losing, like credit's frozen up. And that started in the campaign. Remember when we all like surreptitiously patched into that conference call in October when he had just gone to the White House? And like that was when Hank Paulson got down on his knees in front of Pelosi and was begging her to support to the vote bill. For the right? bailout. To vote for the bailout. The Republicans wouldn't back it. And he was right. like, we got to win this thing, guys. Like things are way worse than you Yeah, because Obama was in this meeting with Bush and Paulson and Pelosi and McCain, and they were talking about the financial crisis. And I remember Bush had seemed... Uh, 
a bit adrift because <laughs> he was almost done. And Paulson sort of had everything under control, I guess. And McCain wouldn't talk. Yeah, but Obama got on the call after that, and he was more scared and, and worried than he had ever been uh, during the campaign because he was like, I'm probably going to become president, and this is really fucking serious. Yeah. yeah. That incredible onion headline. Uh, <laughs> black man gets worse job than <laughs> Well, look, the good news is... Uh, uh, there are always four-year stretches in America without a crisis. That happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so nothing to worry about on that front. I, it's incredible also, I mean, how I, it's, are you, people have already forgotten how crazy it was when Obama took office. Oh, yeah. like, it, was, it was as bad as Trump is making it seem it's bad. Nah. I was saying that the other day. I'm like, can you imagine if Trump was taking office in 2009 right now? Yeah. Then I'd be really terrified. Like, at the very least, we have some level of mm-hmm. calm and prosperity. Yeah. <laughs> But to your point about um, the store winner thing, I mean, like, the thing that's important about shows like yours is, like, this first six months or a year in Washington, the sucking up from the non-Jake Tappers of the world is disgusting, right? right? Like, <laughs> yeah. who's up? Who's got the best office? Who's in power? And, like, someone needs to not give a shit about access and just yeah. go after these people every single night. Well, it's great to not – I mean, again, the, there's not that much access other than Trump. I think Kellyanne Conway is uh, – I, probably the best person you could have to be the voice of him. Mm-hmm. Also, to her credit, you know, she's done Bill Maher. Like, she knows she's the difference. Tough, she's, she's tough, man. She's tough. She'll, she'll go out there and take hits and try. And she's good yeah, at her job. Yeah, and I think she... I mean, she. I, I, I do want to stress this because I feel like people maybe would be surprised. Here, it could not have been nicer before. It could not have been nicer after. And I think loves the theater of doing mm-hmm. one of these that has an audience. And so hopefully... You know, access won't dry up there. But otherwise, we are in a good situation, which is unlike, um, you know, the people in news who actually need it right. like that. You know, we right. can just talk. We More often than not, the, the news is doing the work, and then we take their clips and make jokes about them. Yeah. And, you right. know, so, Us too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it must be so much of a scarier time for them than it is for the people in comedy. You do need, though, I, I, a chronicle almost of, like, all the crazy things that happened today. Like, I feel like that's yeah. why some of the stuff you do is helpful because – you see a day of news, he, like, yells about a million things, tweets, like, it, it, a bunch of things happen that any one of them would have been talked about for days. Yeah. And then it's easy right. to just forget the next day. Well, that, it is, I mean, I hopefully each day's thing serves as a document for people who missed the day and just want to hear, because, again, I don't know if we're changing minds, but if you, if everything I'm telling you is depressing. Hopefully, it's, this is the most palatable way to get this news. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which right, is, right. you know, already as opposed to if you watch, uh, you know, CNN, you have to watch a panel of people who are very fraught talking about the outcome, and this has never happened. This is unprecedented. Yep. And the, whereas by the time you get it, it gets to us, we can at least be rolling our eyes at it. Right. And that doesn't make it any less dangerous. What is actually happening, but hopefully, it makes it a more palatable way to to accept the danger. And so, John's point, like the half life of a bad story these days is like the snap of a finger. Like I. Remember remember where I was when I first saw the the Reverend Wright video. It was like when Kennedy was shot. And then we never stopped talking about it for like three months. The man talked about groping women on tape and like yeah. it's just kind of a yeah, like that. today, I think it was I think it was earlier today, uh Trump spokesman did a press conference and was asked, you know, will he ever release his return so we can find out where he owes money? And he's like, Oh, that's asked and answered. Like, no, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. It's asked and asked and asked, but never answered. Right. And it's just they're like, you can just move on. They're what they're doing is is the kind of thing I feel like political operatives have talked about forever. Like, what would happen if we just never dealt with it? Yeah. Would it really go away? And, oh, no, it does. Right. <laughs> and that, I guess the terrifying thing, 
is I mean, I, look, anybody who has any expectation that he's going to change is crazy. I think at this point, definitely. But will he, this change the way other people run for office because it was so effective? That's scary. I think me. that's the scary thing. Definitely, is, you can get away yeah. with a lot now. Yeah. And look, you know, he is a unique guy, and it's easy to because he has been. Uh, uh, so malicious in so many ways. It's easy to overlook his strengths. He's charismatic. He has a sixth sense for the media. Uh, but what scares me is, okay, you can jettison the racism uh, because it's not a winning strategy long term, right? America's changing. Yeah. What do you keep? You keep the lying. You keep the constantly keeping people onto the next story. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be consistent. You don't need your policies to connect to what you say on a day-to-day basis. You put the racism aside, there's still a basket of horrible behaviors that people can learn from. Yeah, and just dismissing the press, like right. the ability to, to sort of wholesale push them off to the side. Yeah. We, yeah. Just to go and like that thing you were saying about how the, the Half-Life, like, so the piece we're going to do tonight, a closer look, it's basically an inauguration preview. And then um, uh, uh, Sal Gentile, the guy who wrote it, put on confirmation stuff at the end. And it definitely feels like a little bit, we thought, oh, maybe we should save confirmation stuff for Monday. But Sal's been doing this long enough. And he was saying, this was gonna, it's not going to be a story on Monday. Monday's a lifetime. <laughs> like, Ben C. DeVos has, like, five seconds that you can talk about her. She'll be like at a ribbon cutting at a school as a <laughs> yeah, exactly. secretary by Monday. The first, rib- the first ribbon, cu- ribbon cutting to, sh- to close a school. <laughs> They're putting a ribbon back yeah, together just, in just front of a school. <laughs> <laughs> They're police taping a school. Yeah, no, all the outrage goes away really fast. Yeah, and then so, there's something new to be outraged about the next day. And when we take, uh, you know, because we'll do, we're probably averaging about three a week, so that means one day a week. We don't have a closer look. And it's amazing how you can't even get a day ahead because you go, oh, and that one at least we'll have two days to work on it because it just it all just like flushes out so quickly. Yeah. I mean, our preparation is like John writes an outline and forwards it to us and we rewrite the thing three times before Monday when we tape. And usually it's outdated by the time it's aired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We miss every big story. (laughs) Literally. No, it's true. Who's the who's the most human politician you've you've interviewed that you didn't think like this is someone just sort of. Spit and talk well, I will say it was it, especially this. You know, this year when you have there were so many candidates on uh, the Republican side, and, and you just realize how many of them don't understand the purposes of coming on a show like mine. Right, and they, you know, people like uh, you know, like Kasich and, and Martin O'Malley, who are lovely people, but just like locked into talking points that they would do anywhere, and you could just uh, feel them. And I will say, Kasich came back a second time and uh, was much better, and even said that when he watched it, he realized, oh, this is not the show to. Do your meet the press talking points. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the audience didn't care. They they had an assumption. Oh, we thought if you were showing up for the twelve thirty show, you were going to show it another side of yourself. I mean, Bernie is human in that yeah. only. I mean, it's just the most human behavior. It's and, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I we basically had him when he announced, so he was this crazy long shot, and then the second time we had him was oh, hey, is this a real thing? It was like after Michigan, and then the last time we had him was sort of right after. Uh, it was right before the election. We had him four times, I guess. But, like, right before the election, I remember saying, how you doing? He's like, I'm bad. I'm mad. I want to be running for president. <laughs> okay. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. yeah, that's a very uh, good, honest answer. I will say my favorite, uh, again, in the same way that I really enjoyed talking to Kellyanne Conway, uh, Ted Cruz was really a fun interview. Really? Yeah, because he... <laughs> I know, I know. You First time I heard that. <laughs> but he, uh, he's, 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 like, intellectually combative in a way that is yeah. interesting. Yeah. And yeah. he's not... You know, he, he has that debate background. He's not tied to – you can switch the topic subject on him, and he's, like, very facile and can kind of go – As these guys know, I'm a fan of Ted Cruz. Yeah, you, you were on board early. <laughs> I was on board early. He was my boy. He was the only guy who could stop him. He quit. He gave up. But he could have done it. Do you think he quit too soon? 
I don't think he had a chance. Yeah, I, I, I think he quit the very moment he didn't have a chance, but I think there was a period of time when he could have done it. Yeah. Something unlikable that comes off him that's it's probably beyond politics. He must have, yeah. I mean, again. Smarminess, I think. If he'd have just been that. friendly smarmy to the rest of his party. Right. You know, yeah. like if right. he, but he played that card of I'm going to be the outsider and then like that dude came out like so far outside right. him. So like far. you need to have an inside somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it can be small, but you need somewhere where you can go where there are people who like you. Yeah. It is funny what goes in, on our side, what goes into like preparing politicians for shows like this. Sure. Like there'll be meetings and it's like right. come up with lines. It's and the worst instincts, like, right? Don't we don't want to write them it's, lines. You're not funny. Shows. It you're definitely not to yeah. changed over the years, though. I remember like when in the first year at the White House, when he would do when the president would do one of these shows, there was this the meeting and cogn, you know, writing a page of lines like maybe he'll use this if he's asked this and it never comes to anything. And then by like, you know, year four, it's just like, right, just go, just go and be, just talk. Yeah. Yeah. Always much better. I mean, he's the best at it. Here's I want to uh, loop back to the correspondence dinner. What is it going to be like? What is the correspondence dinner going to be like next year? So I think Al Smith is going to be instructive. What we saw for, during yeah. the campaign, which is he will have a page of professionally written material by someone who has sold their soul, and then he'll turn the page and he'll just be like, "You know what? I hate all of you. Mean, 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 mean. <laughs> yeah. No punchline. Angry. I hate you. Thank you." Well, you know, I mean, we've learned that. Self-deprecating jokes are always the best, yeah. and you always want to start with self-deprecating so that you can get into the shots to yeah. on other people later. Um, I don't think he will be very self-deprecating. Yeah, um, and he, like you said, he'll take every joke too far. There'll be a joke that singes, and then he'll just hammer it because he wants to really insult. I felt like that was like a metaphor. You were so close. Like, <laughs> Did I, get I, was like, so, I was like, oh, singeing. Where's he going to go? Hammering. hammering Never mind. Yeah. Disappointed. Something like Trump might say. The, other Al, the thing about the Al Smith dinner is he doesn't, he has no expectation of how the joke will go. It's just like he's, it's, it's, it's almost as if he's hearing it the first time as he reads it. And yeah. not not in that good stand-up way of, oh, they say it, and it makes you think it's the first time they're saying it. Which Obama it, does sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes he's really reading it for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> in like a speech, a little joke. Uh, but yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I can't even imagine what it'll be like for the comedian. I was going to say, what comedian does that, gets yeah. that job? Yeah, Larry the Cable Guy. Good luck, my friend. Well, listen, the, I mean, the, the, the way that, that he's interacting with the press corps, if this trend continues and they push them out of the West Wing into the EEOB and they are saying no press is allowed in Trump's hotel this weekend. And like if this access keeps being curtailed. Reporters should not be a party to this thing. Yeah. You know, and like I don't want to be the, 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 on the, parade the asshole <laughs> after I got to go my turn. But like at some point it's not funny because people need to understand that press access is our access to information. And I think it's easy to like, we've shit on the media from both sides for so long that we've destroyed their approval rating, but it's like, this is, this is getting dangerous. Yeah. And the weird thing about any collective press decision is, is that even possible to ask, you know, when people say, Oh, they should walk out of the, uh, you know, the press briefing. Well, not everyone will ever walk right. out. Right. And right. Just be left yeah. with. Right. Um, and so there's this interesting thing. Some people think you just might have to eat it. The interesting yeah. thing would be if the white, the press corps. I mean, again, oh, Trump doesn't want to have that dinner, right? He doesn't want to go to the White House correspondence Day. Uh, Although I don't now, know. especially because of 2011, uh, I think the first year he's going to want to go to be like, I mean, look this at is me, what he I did it. The job is yeah. right. It's it's going to these dinners, getting the Olympics. Like that's in his mind. Like right. he's it's he's, a show, right? Yeah, it's a big show. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You know, this is something that reporters talk about. You know behind the scenes it's also something a lot of like press people who work with reporters say you know uh, we had Philippe Rhinus who worked for Hillary on our show and, and, and one of the things he said is reporters are going to have to start figuring out how to work together and stop seeing themselves as competitors and I wonder how much of a challenge the Trump 
press strategy has to pose before they'll really do that. But yeah. like you said, there's a, like even if ABC, CBS, NBC right. all decide to join together, like Fox and Breitbart are always going right, to be there. Right, they'll always be. Birth certificate weekly. Yeah, birth certificate weekly. Love its new outlet. Yeah, Olinsky Magazine. You do the back page, right? You do like a back page story. You fold it over, and it's always terrible. He might he might not want to go just because he may be self-aware enough to know that he's not going to be funny and be scared that right. he won't get laughs. I guess the real question, I mean, uh, uh, April is a lifetime away. It is. I mean, Will before we, we decide, like, well, how it's going to go. Maybe literally, yeah. The first week yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I can't even imagine what that night's going to be like. Here's my, I have another question about the White House Correspondents Center. Do you guys know the answer to this? I believe that before... Uh, President Obama started doing it that the president went second. No. no? Are you sure? I, for some reason, everybody wants the comedian to have gone first. Like, I think that everyone's like, that makes more sense. Why are we doing it this way? But I remember I remember Wanda Sykes going after Bush and kind of watching Wanda Sykes. I was walking out the door. Yeah. At least in the Bush administration, it was that yeah, way. Yeah, I don't okay. know if it ever switched, switched before that. I mean, it should have, it only, the only reason it should have switched is how good Obama was at it. Yeah. I, Obama was impossible to follow. Yeah, it's, well, it's totally home field advantage to the president. There, right. right. But he has, not only, uh, I'm not just saying this, fantastic material, uh, he has a stand-up's delivery even when he's talking about policy. He knows exactly how to deliver a joke. Yeah. And uh, I just remember that was the part that, the, when people say that how stressful was the night, the stressful part was sitting there knowing you had to go up next while he was just murdering, just killing Did so Did you have hard. to cross out any jokes? Did you? Do we have repeats? No. I it. Turned out, no. I the, I ended up dropping jokes on the fly that were, I sort of had a joke about every 2012 Republican mm-hmm. candidate. And I did a couple of them, and I could tell, like, he wasn't, you, I don't, you could tell the president didn't want to get caught laughing at that. He was happy laughing at Trump. And I just realized, oh, because I found, when he gets cold to something, like the audience kind of does too, because yeah. they can see him watching. I really think you had the one of the great strategies. You 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 know did a fantastic job, and I always point to it as like that was the best job a comedian did during Obama's two terms. And also, look, we're all company. I'm going to get one in, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, it was interesting. You had a real strategy, which was you were just relentless with jokes because it's a big sp- big spread out room. So you were fast with a lot of jokes, and I and you were flipping through pages, skipping things you weren't sure were going to work. Well, you so didn't really do too fascinating many. to see. The, a lot of the comedians have failed because they or they don't do as well because they do too many jokes. Yeah, and I don't know why in that room they felt they, they feel like you well, know it's such a sensitive turfy room too. Like, they get sensitive like ooh at the weirdest yeah. things. There was uh, I'm, I'll tell you after we stop rolling, but. <laughs> Uh, John Mulaney and Neil Brennan, who both helped me out, they were sitting at a table, and I skipped a joke. And Mulaney told Neil, "Oh, I'm so happy you skipped it. I've been so worried about it coming, and like <laughs> just that thing because you and there's no dress rehearsal, so you don't every joke you tell, you're learning an exponential amount more than what you knew before you told it. And it was just like, oh, and then I was just came one and like skipped it. And he said it was like his heart started beating again. <laughs> we, we do this every year where there's jokes that we love, yeah. and then they go and it's nothing, and then there's jokes that were like." Is this too cheesy? And then the audience loves yeah, it. It's a, little, it's, <laughs> a, it's a fascinating that room is it's um first of all, also they're never as insidery as you expect them to be. No, right. Uh because it's this mix of Hollywood people and DC people who are really more sort of sponsors of these magazines and newspapers. Yep. And then there are journalists who are 
you know, look, the funniest people in the world. <laughs> Great <laughs> senses of humor, one and all. Cheerful, hilarious bunch. Not the sensitive at all. Pre- the White House press corps, a bunch of prickly pears, those guys. <laughs> I remember uh, the other thing was we were supposed to, you know, there's like a, a photo room beforehand mm-hmm. uh, with a get the, uh, your picture with the president and the first lady. And then there was supposed to be a photo with myself, the president, and the press corps. And he disappeared. And, of course, uh, you guys have talked about this, but, you know, that was the next day was Osama Bin Laden. And I just remember, when, uh, like, multiple reporters saying um, uh, they got one of uh, Qaddafi's kids. Like, that's they just killed one of the Qaddafi's kids. And I just remember thinking, that, that. Was, or no, was the guess? That was their guess. Or something, or, like, maybe it was one of Saddam Hussein's. But, like, there was something, and they were all that's so sure. So I mean, usually, like, the next day, you know, uh, John and I had been working on the speech. You know, Tommy's in national security, but we're just working on this joke speech. Yeah. And then we're like, I wonder why the president was so busy in the two or three days leading up to the the, uh, the correspondence center. We couldn't get any time for this important event. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to go to the White House the next day, and I was like, I, I got called in, and I sort of sensed it was something important, but I didn't know. Like, I wasn't read into this. Yeah. There's no reason to be. And I got to the White House, and, like, you know, a headshot of bin laden with a bullet through his skull was put down in front of me so it got serious very quickly but then throughout the day i would go outside and i would just see like the cast of true blood like bitching up a storm they couldn't get a tour <laughs> like well that was the real problem makes sense in a couple hours <laughs> we had to cut a bin laden joke or obama right. asked us to cut a. did you have a bin laden we joke? had one but it was just um we were just shitting on c-span for how That's and right. it was uh, that nobody watches C-SPAN. <laughs> and I was like, people job. have been looking for, everybody says Osama bin Laden's in the Hindu Kush, but did you know he's hosting a talk show on C-SPAN <laughs> <laughs> every day from two to three? That's right, that's right. I'm so glad you said shit because I've been saying it and I got conscious of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it was uh, that we always say, uh, that I think told the last bin Laden joke that he would have, he had a chance to hear. Right, right, right. Depending wow. on like you know the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I like to think of him watching the correspondence. Oh. Like, come on, man. That's going to be the worst thing that's going to happen to me today. Yeah. Well, he, he did sit around all day watching TV of himself. Yeah, we released all this video of him just to like kind of denigrate the guy and make him look like this sad old man that he was. Yeah, um, just watch it complaining about cable news. Yeah, very Trump like Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> uh, the at the end, I got up and. Uh, you know, when you finish, I, and it was uh, as much as like, I'm pretty sure it was just the president said, good job. And I said, thanks. So, so great. It was that fast. But I remember somebody said the next day or two days later, whatever. Um, what did the what did you say to the president afterwards? And I, I was telling people, I said, check about a bed. <laughs> I said, I've been looking at some Google Earth shots. There seems to be a con. It doesn't fit. It doesn't hang together. It does, there's something about right. it. I got a hot tip yeah. for you. Yeah. Why, why a dish? Why would a house like that have a dish? Why are these walls so high? <laughs> Believe what you will. I'm just saying. You have your intelligence. The other thing I remember that I, wa- I walked off stage and um, Al Franken called me immediately, which was very nice. Because cool. he had oh, done it a couple times. One Did you the, see uh, his exchange with Rick Perry today? Incredible. It's the closer for our closer look. It's <laughs> like genuinely hilarious and good natured on both their sides. Like, both sides. Yes. Great. And the best part about it is Rick Perry says the crazy thing. And it's such a gift. Franken being from comedy just knows all he has to do is just let it lay there. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. One of like one of my first one of the first times I ever wrote jokes in politics, I was writing jokes for Hillary and Al Franken was helping. And I made him laugh about Rick Lazio working at a deli in upstate New York <laughs> and it was like the greatest thing that ever happened. It's like I'm like Al Franken is a tough audience. That felt awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He used to call and uh, yell jokes into an answering machine when John, during John Kerry's presidential campaign. <laughs> Why? John Kerry always wanted jokes. Which he wanted jokes machine? at the top of his speech. And 
like Andre Cherney was a speaker at the time. We'd sit in our office and we'd be like listening to messages from Al Franken, being like, "Here's what he should say. Here's a couple jokes." <laughs> John Kerry didn't deliver them quite as good. No, we, uh, Amy Poehler and I were in D.C. for I think when Tina Fey got the Mark Twain Award, and we Franken had us to lunch in his office. And then he just gave us a tour. And I realized the whole reason he gave us the tour was just to tell us the jokes that he'd come up with about different things that <laughs> never worked with any of the people that he was spending his time with. He was yeah. just so happy to have comedians. Yeah, like, ah, that, yeah, that, looks, yeah that looks like Rooney Valley. <laughs> like, look at some old... I'm like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> He's getting funnier as a center now. He's yeah. Sort of like yeah. He started to okay loose. with it. Yeah. 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 On a show. yeah. He was very serious for that first term. I guess if you're a comedian running for office, you sort of have to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what? Even after, I guess also when you like win by four hundred votes, yeah, you don't know. Like you don't go right. into it like guns blazing. It, it, at least that's what Acorn would have you believe. <laughs> uh, I went. I, I was in Minnesota once and had dinner uh, with him, and it was really funny because so many people were coming up, and uh, you know, you say he's this kind of guy. He sits in the middle of the restaurant. He's going to you know talk to his constituents, and he was saying the thing about winning by four hundred votes is like. You have to thank everybody who voted for you, and you have to thank everybody who just didn't vote. <laughs> like you, that's, right. you have to have an incredible amount of gratitude for pretty much every single person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, you think you'll get Trump on? I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And I'm kind of relieved that it's not something we're chasing. Yeah. Because... Then it, you have to... I, because, again, if we were, you know, there would be a back and forth, and they would constantly... You know, they could just play us then, you right. know, we, you know, we'd love to, I think it'd be helpful if you, you know, if you said mm-hmm. how well attended the inauguration was, I think that would mean, you know, that would be, I doesn't, I wouldn't put it past them to you're, sort of have specific requests. You're on the mall with a mic, like three doors down. That was wonderful. What a day. <laughs> what a day for America. <laughs> All the doors showed up. All three. Just <laughs> like Kellyanne might come back on though. I hope so. I mean, that was uh, one of the goals outside of it being a good interview was doing it in a way that uh she'd come back you know that uh, she's a fantastic resource and and hopefully you know you don't want to just strip mine at the first time out so that there's nothing left right and, and i do you know there were so many people who before you interview somebody like that says i hope you're gonna tell her and they tell you things and you're like oh no i'm not first of all i wasn't raised to say things yeah. like that to anyone. <laughs> i'm gonna yell at my guests for five <laughs> yeah. minutes <Right>. like. <laughs> Um, but, it, you know, again, like, you know, just to go back, they, you know, it's very easy uh, for me to book people uh, who share uh, political views, and, and that can be a really good uh, conversation, a good interview. Um, but moving forward, I think the, the other is, is uh, makes very good TV as well, and so it's hopefully trying to find as many of those people as possible. Well, yeah. Good luck. Thanks. If you see Kellyanne, I'll just give you my resume. <laughs> And just sort of slide it after. What do you want to I do? I just for miss her? the White House. I just love. Oh, you want to get there. back in there? You know, you know, support my country. Get like get back in the game. Yeah, it was nice being there yesterday. They do good work. Yeah, it's gonna be a little, gonna be a little different. Yeah, maybe not a good idea. I don't think we'll be back there for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone. Take a mental be back picture, there. guys. Yeah, take a mental <laughs> picture. Uh, Seth, thanks for joining our podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to our show, Pod Save America. Don't forget to check out our website, getcrookedmedia.com. All kinds of good content. Please also follow us on Twitter at Pod Save America, at Crooked Media, at John Favs, at John Lovett, at TV Toro 8, and at Dan Pfeiffer. Bye.
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.